You are listening to Chaos on the Set. You have your usual hosts here today. I'm Shruti. I'm Mike. I'm Kate. And we have a record-breaking host <laughs> joining us today, Leah, who we've had many uh, guests on this podcast who have come on two times, but Leah is returning now for the second time you've heard her, but this is a record-breaking third time recording on Chaos on the Set because we did have one instance where all of my audio got deleted, and she was nice enough to return not only then, but is coming back again now, <laughs> late on a Saturday night. Leah, thank you so much for joining Ooh, us. You're welcome, Ooh. and this time, uh, happy to be here, and this time I don't have to remember what I said before. <laughs> Yeah, you might remember Leah from our Succession episode. She helped us develop our betting series on what will happen in season three of Succession. But now she's here as we preview um, in anticipation for Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, which is Nick Cage's new movie opening April 22nd, uh, where he plays himself. We decided to do another Nick Cage movie this year. We put a poll up on Twitter and Instagram and Moonstruck won the awards. And Leah said, listen, if you do Moonstruck, I have a take for you. And I said, well... (laughs) Do you want to come on then, Leah? What is your relationship with Moonstruck? What's going on here? Well, I I mean, I'm not a, I wouldn't call myself a huge Nick Cage fan, but that's only out of um, ignorance. I just haven't seen a whole lot of his films. But I watched Moonstruck earlier this year, and as I was watching it, I thought, this is Gilmore Girls. This is Luke and Lorelai. This, in, like... Typically, when you talk about what inspired Amy Sherman Palladino on Gilmore Girls, you talk about, like, screwball comedies um, and more, like, 50s aesthetic-y things. But everything about, like, their vibe, there's even, um, I think, later in the film, Nick Cage's character says, it smells like snow, which is a famous Lorelai Gilmore yes. line. He's got a Sherpa jacket like Jess. Um He's angsty like Jess, but yeah. you're saying he's Luke. So yeah, I a little Luke, it. a little Jess. I, and I think we can agree that those characters are a little bit repeats of each other, a little lazy sometimes. And I mean, I feel the same. I, you're honestly blowing my mind here because I feel the same themes of like family and absurdity between yeah. Gilmore Girls and Moonstruck, but I never thought of it that way. Wow. I think I just got a lot more respect for Moonstruck. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Mike, as an as our resident Italian expert, sure. Oh my! How God. do you feel about Moonstruck? Uh, okay, so this is not my first time seeing Moonstruck. I uh, I saw it several years ago, and I remember not really liking it a whole lot then. Um, but I think I gave it like a respectable letterbox rating because for whatever reason at the time, like I respected it as a film, and was I was it hoping in the middle of the pandemic. No, I think it was oh, even. I think it was pre-pandemic. Because then I was like, then that score doesn't count. Your mind no, was no, happy I, to be around Italians. Again. No, I think it was. It was probably like four years ago. Maybe a friend had recommended it to me, a, a fellow Italian. <laughs> and um, you know, I was hoping upon a rewatch, I was like, oh, maybe I will gain the admiration for this film that so many people seem to have. Because if you go on Letterbox, it's like every review is a rave review. I've I've seen several people, some of them being critics that I highly respect, called a perfect movie. And they don't use that term lightly. Um, and I just do not like it. I don't. I don't get it. I don't. I don't know what it is. And there's like so many aspects of it 
that should be right up my alley, right? First of all, the whole Italian vibe, the fact that they're speaking in Italian, there's the there's these certain little cultural things, um, all of the music. I, I should love all of that. It has some of, you know, some of my favorite actors, uh, low-key actors that not many people are too aware of but that I really love, um, John John Mahoney, who plays um, Martin Crane in Frasier, one of my all-time favorites. I rarely see him in movies, but in this, in his supporting role, he's really fantastic. I love Cher. Um, I really love Danny Aiello. But I am also a well-documented Nick Cage hater. Uh, so take that so with a grain of salt. Is that why you hate the movie, though? No, no, no. And so I actually have grown admiration for Nick Cage recently. So I was like, oh, man, I'm going to go back to this. I'm going to appreciate Nick Cage more. Like, this is going to be for me. And honestly, I think the fact that it has all of these aspects that I should inherently love but the movie itself makes no sense to me. Um, I think it's a ridiculous premise. I just don't like it at all. Makes me hate it that much more because it's like you tried to win me over with these things that I should love, and then I didn't love it, so I'm going to hate it that much more. And that is how I feel about Moonstruck. Like I have, I have a, an anger towards it for pulling out all the stops of being Italian. Like I, I can't give like, it a pass. It's kind of like when a Christopher Nolan or Jonathan Nolan joint is bad. I'm like, why are you doing this to me specifically? Like I feel like yes. they are coming at me, and I'm more hurt that it's bad. So I feel personally attacked. I'm like, w- um, are all Italians uh, guilty of infidelity? Like, what is this movie? <laughs> I have a quote that says that is correct, but we'll get to that later in the podcast. Kate, how did you? I just want to know, Kate, you watched this movie with your parents. I did. Was it uncomfortable? Well, no, it wasn't because I was the only one that hadn't seen it so far. Like, my mom voted for it in the poll. (laughs) She was like, oh, like, watch Moonstruck. It's so good. You'll love it. It's Cher. And so I watched it, and I was like, I think there were parts that, like, were supposed to be serious and poetic, but I laughed out loud, and my mom was like, why are you laughing? Like, pay attention to the movie. Oh, no. And then... And then after I was done, uh, Shruti texted me and was like, so did you finish it yet? I told her I was watching it. And then I called her. And all Shruti says is, I was waiting for this. <laughs> and then I just, <laughs> and I, I, I just, um, uh, you guys know, like anyone who listens to this podcast and Shruti and Mike know this, but I'm like a sucker for romance. I love the romance aspect in most films we watch to the point that like I gush about it too much. And I think Shruti might get a little annoyed with how much I, I, like laser beam in because I'm like such a romantic sap and so you'd think I would love this movie right because it's literally like this guy being like fuck what everyone else says baby let's like well, sleep together I don't know but <laughs> I just but I wouldn't I just, say it's a necessarily romantic movie it's more obsessed with like death I would say yeah than oh my gosh okay and passion mention that because like that's the thing like it kind of like that I guess that's why I was annoyed like I wanted more from Sharon Cage's like relationship in this film I wanted to care more but like literally the whole premise of the movie is she gets engaged to a guy she likes but doesn't love then she meets his younger brother and he's like my hand (laughs) got sliced off Johnny has his wife he's like I'm a wolf sleep with me and she's like yes and then they sleep together 
I, and I, then like, they go to an opera and then they fall in love. Let's <laughs> pause. Let's pause. Let's backtrack because I was actually, I just hate it. I was trying to explain the plot of this movie to my coworker the other day <laughs> because I was like, "Have you seen Moonstruck?" She was like, "No," and I was like, "Oh my god." bonkers movie bonkers movie and she's like what and then later i had to drive her to her car long story. oh you guys know her maddie you met her she came on for eternal sunshine and spells oh we did yeah. yeah so she was like what happens in moonstruck and like explaining it to her i wish i was recording it for the podcast because i like start with listen premise of the movie is that nick cage who by the way was 23 23 years old at the time that he filmed it lost his hand Five years ago by cutting it off in a bagel slicer and he blames his brother about it. And she's like, wait, 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 wait. Like, even at that point, she had to cut me off. Ridiculous. Because it's so ridiculous. Um, I will say that I was... Sorry. Sorry, you mentioned that Nick Cage is 23 when this is filmed. I have to just say, he looks both so young and so old <laughs> at the same time. I just wanted to just point that out. Well, because he's worn down by, I guess... Cutting his Shoveling hand cut coal. off. Life. Yeah. <laughs> God, this movie is so fucking emo. I can't take it. <laughs> I, yeah, I, here's the thing. I felt bad that I, like, didn't really get the movie, I almost feel like. Leah, are you overall positive on the movie? I, it's fun. What, what is, like, why do you? I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I've all, I, this is only the second time I've watched it. I can't say that I'm, like, gonna really go to bat for it, but. No, you must passionately you must defend no. this against. That's the only our, reason we asked you. The three of us, the I'm three Irish, of us, like I John Patrick Shanley. I'm not Italian, like this movie. Um, let me see. I read this New Yorker review that, like, kind of maybe made me understand what I was going for. It's a B.D. McClay article in the New Yorker, and the last paragraph was like, "Okay, I kind of get it. I'll I'll read it to y'all." It says. It's a romance, but instead of trying to build up its central couple, it takes their sudden and total attraction to one another as an act of God. Nobody in the movie acts reasonably or even normally, which, yeah, true. Anyway, and yet it feels like completely true for to two people as they are, ridiculous and passionate, in a search for answers and solutions and taking what they can get, which is usually better than what they thought they wanted. As the film knows, most of the things in life that matter aren't chosen, but sometimes we at least get to love the wrong people who might be the right people after all. So, the moon makes you do crazy things. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I was talking to um, my old student council advisor, actually from high school, who is now a good friend of mine and also uh, an Italian-American, who basically defended the movie by basically saying that life in her very close-knit Italian family, and actually, Mike, she kind of challenged your Italian Italianness when I told her that oh. you didn't like the movie. <laughs> so oh. it, you might it, have a look, bone it, to pick with her later. My my letterbox review said uh might be sacrilegious, but I'm Italian and I don't like this movie. And I, I think listen- every every Italian that's listening right now, I'll give you Mike's address and you guys yeah, can I'll take the, house I'll take the hate. Ass. I don't I, look, I don't think it paints a positive picture of Italians. Like fuck I, that. I mean, one thing she did say, and I asked if I could quote her on this, is that she said the father, who in this movie Cosmo is uh, Loretta, Cher's dad, and is cheating on her mom. And she said the father is like every Italian guy I've ever known who's trying to sleep around with every other woman because it doesn't because he doesn't want to live the life he's chosen. And I said, can I quote you on that? And she said, sure. That's so. such a really, stereotype. I don't, I don't really get the like why. 
why is that tied into Italians? Oh, is that is that actually a stereotype that exists that Italian men sleep around? Like I didn't know. I mean, that, Tony but... Soprano does. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I never watched The Sopranos. Okay, but, but I feel like a lot of people sleep around from all nationalities. You know, it's it's <laughs> all it's an all encompassing, yeah, global thing. Olympia, like, Olympia is, is, is saying why do men chase women, not why do Italians chase women. That's yeah. true. Okay, off the course of the Italian thing though, she's she was basically trying to explain to me that like close-knit, really tight Italian families are, like, so weird and so bizarre. And for her, like, she was trying to explain what her family was like, and I, like, wasn't really getting it until she said, like, she made a Trump analogy. And she was like, but if Trump had never been elected, I would never have been able to explain that to you. Like, you wouldn't get it. And so in this movie, they had to do something absurd to explain to you the... The culture and the mentality around the family. And so in this case, they used having your hand cut off by a bagel <laughs> slicer to explain the absurdity of the nature of the family. And I was like, OK, I think I kind of get it now, but well, I, don't know. I, I think I think what the film does highlight about the Italian-American family, so to speak, is that. Uh, people tend to be very passionate in <laughs> in many aspects of their life, and uh, they tend to be all in each other's business, right? And like that happens throughout the film, where they all have an opinion on something, they all have something to say to each other. But I think beyond that, I don't know. It just it just loses me. This certainly has not been. What everything that happens in that movie has not been my fucking experience. Not even close. <laughs> I'd hope not, Michael. But you're young. You still have a whole life left to live. Yeah, yeah but I have. Look, maybe the, you'll get on a plane that got cursed by somebody else because their sister is also on the plane and she stole someone's man fifteen years. Yeah, ago. I mean, like, know. I and like that, that like putting the curse on the plane, like that's some that's realistic shit. Okay, like that is <laughs> that's that, Italian. That the grudges, the superstitions, yes, and it has all of these little aspects that are inherently so you Italian. It. You no, do a no. little bit relate. I relate to all of these little microcosms of the plot that make like it inherently Italian. Yeah. But like the fact that oh, I'm supposed to like this movie because uh, they have Dean Martin music and. There's a Nana on her deathbed that is sudden, you know, like, I'm sorry, but like piecing that all together still does not even come close to making a coherent plot or any sort of device that pushes a narrative that's relate, even closely related to the Italian American experience. I mean, and I'll, I'll die. I'll die. I will on my deathbed like the (laughs) Nana who is suddenly <laughs> awoken by marriage, I will die defending uh, my hatred of this film. I mean, just stripping away the Italianness of it, like, to me, the reason I didn't like it was that it's a, it's a movie about infidelity <laughs> and cheating and, you know, like, oh, you know, if you're Keys drawn to Keys to someone, a great marriage. Yeah, like, if you're drawn to someone, it's okay to cheat. Like, that's kind of like what the movie's... I think getting at and they're saying like, that now I almost feel like defending the movie. <laughs> well, I mean, no. but like, but here's the thing, like, uh, like it conveniently works out for them in the end, yeah. which like I, t- I get that the movie's supposed to have like some comedic undertones and like, I get that it's like slightly a parody, but like for me, it's like 
I don't care if you're passionately drawn to someone that you're not supposed to be with. You sort out your other shit first before you before you do anything like that because everyone in the world has feelings. And you know what? You shouldn't try to hurt other people's feelings by cheating on them. So I'll, I'll tell you the one scene <laughs> that encapsulates that that I, I can't explain, that I don't understand what they're going for. Right? right. It's, it's at the very end when they're all sitting at the table and uh, and she says, I want you to stop seeing her. And he just slams his hand on the table and stands <laughs> up. And then he sits back down and he says, okay. Like, what? <laughs> I'm sorry, like, what is the hand slamming supposed to signify? Like, how dare she ask that well, question? I don't get it. I think the movie overall, it's the theme of death that it has, right? Like, the movie literally opens in a funeral home. And, like, when Loretta is first woken up, or sorry, Loretta's mom is first woken up to tell her that Loretta's engaged, she's like, who died? You know what I mean? It has this theme of death the whole time, which I get. But I don't really understand how cheating helps you evade death, right? Like, the whole time Loretta's mom is asking people, why do men chase women? Why do men chase women? And finally Johnny tells her, oh, it's because they're scared of dying. And I'm like, but how does an affair make Makes you... Makes them feel a- alive? Yeah, you could go jump out of a plane instead. You don't have to bang someone else <laughs> when you're married. Like, I, I don't, just don't get it. I, I just generally, generally don't I just, get the I can't, I can't wait for you to edit this episode <laughs> while I'm screaming into the microphone. It's going to well, make so he the does audio say, really As good, a teaser for next week, if this is what we're doing, he, he does say, Cosmo, that... He feels like his life is not like he hasn't lived the correct life. And I think that that is why he's cheating so he can like live out a different life. If he was with this woman, he's living out what a different scenario his life would be. If you want us to if you want to hear us discuss a movie where you live out a different scenario of what your life could be. Tune in next week when we cover (laughs) everything everywhere all at once. I will say I think one thing that the film has going for it that at little moments throughout has me engaged and like has me be like okay i get it is the humor there i mean definitely not enough to save the film by any means but there's there's generally points where out the film where i have a genuine laugh like i think there are parts that are legitimately funny well-written jokes um but again like not enough not even close to be like, oh yeah, that was worth it. Like I never want to watch this movie again. <laughs> I I laughed. I think the most I laughed was when um when Cher was like, "You're a wolf, Ronnie. You're a wolf." And then um he uh like let's, flips over the table. Let's let's, and then let's listen go- to the wolf part because I really okay. don't. This is what Cher says to Ronnie, Nicholas Cage's character, when talking to him about his life and what happened to him with the bagel slicer? I'm a wolf. Yeah. You know, the, the big part of you has, has no words, and uh, it's a wolf. You know, that woman was a trap for you. She caught you, and you couldn't get away, so you you chewed off your own foot. That was the price you had to pay for your freedom. You know, Johnny had nothing to do with it. You did what you had to do between you and you, and now... Now you're afraid because you know the big part of you is a wolf that has the courage to bite off its own hand to save itself from the trap of the wrong love. That's why there's been no woman since that wrong woman, okay? You're scared to death of what the wolf will do if you try and make that mistake again. What are you doing? I'm telling you your life. Stop it. No, 
Why are you marrying Johnny? He's a fool. Because I have no luck. Okay. <laughs> First of all, is she saying that Johnny purposely that intentionally cut off his hand because he wanted subconsciously for his bride to leave him? <laughs> yes, that's what that's what I got. I took away from it too. What? <laughs> and then she ends. He's like, "Why are you marrying Johnny?" And she says, "Because I have no luck." That's so sad. Like, the, also the disregarding <laughs> way in which she talks about her ex, or her widow. What, what's the word for a deceased uh, husband? I think it's just deceased just, husband. Just, she's just like literally earlier. She's like, "He got hit by a bus. Like, he died." And she talks about it like this casual bad luck thing that happened to her. I was I was laughing at that where she's like, "I have bad luck. My my husband got hit by a bus," and I'm like, "You have bad luck. How about your husband that's now in the <laughs> ground?" Like, jeez. Yeah. I will say, like, I do understand. Right, like the, the the marriage aspect to it, that to me feels like it's of a different time, right? Where marriage um, was not always just a love match, but it was more of a, I don't know the right word, but more of a transactional thing, right? Where it's like yeah. you, need a, you need a spouse, whatever, and it's more of just like a, um, you know, there, there's other reasons. There's other convenient reasons i think to to get married and it's something that's that's sort of expected you know um and so that's why you know like there are great moments with her mother when she's like oh do you love him and she's like i yeah i think i do and she's like, oh that's too bad like that yeah, was funny she says i love him awful mom yeah that's a cute yeah. moment but you know in the sense you know that like marrying johnny is just like a way for share to be supported and move out of the house and uh have a man around that type of thing um so i i do understand it in in that sense and also i don't know you know maybe just playing into the whole tailing thing but i will note that like the wolf is a symbolic animal in italian culture i don't know if that was purposeful or not i didn't know that how what is the wolf a symbol of Oh Lord, you're really gonna quiz me. I'm not Roman. I, I, it's a it's a Roman thing. It's a Roman thing. But I just thought the wolf was like a moon thing. You know? It's also not the first time that it comes up in the movie, because I think the um, the shop yeah, owner, sh- the sh- aunt, she goes, "I seen a wolf in everybody I ever met, and I see a wolf in you." Great. And quote. he says, "When I look at you, I see the woman I married." There are cute uh-huh. moments in this movie, but. Yeah, that's a that's an iconic yeah. couple. The, I like she, the other guy. Um, what who is it? Her uncle, that that yeah that she works I think with. They're cute. They, yeah, they have a good. That she marriage. stole money from and doesn't it doesn't become she an issue until she the very end. Money. Steal the money. She forgot. She yeah, was she's distracted by other. It's whoops, Cosmo's moon. I well so. The first time I watched the movie, I thought she spent used all that money to Wait, buy her clothes for the opera, and I was like, "What is?" Wrong I thought with I thought when woman? they came and they were like, "Do you have the money?" I thought she was gonna be like, "No, I got new hair." <laughs> like I literally thought she was gonna yeah. confess. <laughs> oh, that would make the movie a lot more stressful, right? Um, like you took our money for love. Should be it was for love. Speaking of stressful, should we talk about the most uncomfortable scene in the entire movie? Uh, is it the sex scene? Okay. I love to listen to a sex scene. 
What are you doing? Son of a bitch! Where are you taking me? To the bed. Oh, God. Okay, I don't care. I don't care. Take me. Take me to the bed. I don't care about anything. I don't believe this is happening. I was dead. Me too. What about Johnny? Oh, you're mad at him. Take it out on me. Take your revenge out on me. Leave nothing left for him to marry. Leave nothing but the skin over my bones. All right. All right. I hope I hope that recording the screen recorded our video. How? I just how, can't. How dare they desecrate that beautiful aria with that <laughs> hot garbage? And can I just say, I do not understand the dozens and hundreds and thousands of reviews that think that Nicolas Cage and Cher are attractive in this movie. <laughs> I think Cher is attractive. Sure. I do too. When she's I, doing I, her walk of shame home after that opera, that is the nicest looking walk of shame I have okay, ever yeah. seen. No, like here's my thing. Like I do I do genuinely think like Cher does a good job acting in this movie. Like I actually like her performance. Yeah. It's just like it's just like the juxtaposition of of Cher and then of Nick Cage, like her being like, Where are you taking me? Him. To the bed. Like every Whatever, I don't every care. time he talks, he's like a brooding emo like I don't even know. Like it's just so cringy. Like I don't know about you guys, but every time he opened his mouth in this movie, I was laughing. I because was I just, couldn't take it seriously. Like I, you know how when you watch, this is why I was like, Kate, hey, what was this movie like? Watching it with your parents, like you weren't uncomfortable. I was watching it with my roommate, who I am very comfortable talking about sex with, <laughs> and watching that scene together, I was like, I'm embarrassed to be watching this next I, to you. Like I, I was. <laughs> beat red humiliated i don't think i was embarrassed cause i was just like laughing because it wasn't like like it was just so over the top ridiculous that like i i couldn't be embarrassed if to me it was like a it was like a comedy you know but the thing is i don't think they meant for it to be a comedy so i was kind of laughing at that in itself i was like this is so stupid <laughs> like where are you taking me to the bed like i don't know <laughs> Like, I, I couldn't believe it was, like, those lines were actually coming out of his mouth and that this was a real film I was watching. To the bed is not the most problematic part for me. To, for me, it's the fact that sh- they start talking about his brother while having sex. <laughs> Who does that? She's like, yes, take all your anger out on your brother, on me, while you nail me. What in the world? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it is hard to tell what is and is not intended to be a joke. Because plenty of things, I think, are. But, yeah. But I couldn't tell where the line was. That was the thing. Like, the line yeah. was so blurred. Like, and, yeah. for instance, when he's giving his whole speech, uh, I lost my head, I lost my wife. And, like, everyone in the room is, like, so solemn. And, like, the one girl's bawling her eyes out. And I'm just like, it's objectively ridiculous and funny. Freaking monument to justice! I lost my hand! I lost my bride! Johnny has his hand! Johnny has his bride! You want me to take my heartbreak, put it away, and forget? Chrissy, over by the wall. Bring me the big knife. No, Ronnie! 
Bring me the big knife. I'm gonna cut my throat. Maybe I should come back another time. No, I want you to see this. I want you to watch me kill myself so you can tell my brother Johnny on his wedding day, okay? Chrissy, bring me the big knife! I tell you, I won't do it! The way she's saying I won't do it, it's like this request for him to publicly commit suicide is real. I am just... The way he's saying, bring me the big knife, objectively funny. Uh, uh, I don't know. I just... It's so stupid. <laughs> That's all I can say. It's so stupid that he got his hand cut, sliced in a bagel cutter because his brother accidentally made him look the wrong way and now he's like i'm gonna kill myself seriously of of like you really like that was the best premise that they could possibly come up with like of all things ever if you ever accidentally distracted me and i like cut off my own hand i wouldn't be mad at you i'm really glad that we have this on recording now and i wouldn't i wouldn't (laughs) then try to like off myself because i'm so mad at you The public declaration of suicide was really rough, as was when Olympia Dukakis' character is at the dinner with the young, the professor who's, like, trying to get a younger woman to date him, and the younger woman leaves him, and he starts, like, loudly talking about how she's mentally ill. I was like, what in the world is happening? Here's the bad, the worst part about that. Not even a younger woman. He's a professor, and that was one of his students. So and it, talk like, about a yeah. power imbalance. Many like, and this is the second time we've seen him do this. So he does it on the in reg. the course of the movie. In that, in that this he movie, fast. This movie took place in like two days. So. <laughs> Truly, and then as he walks Olympia Dukakis home, he's like so open about trying to get in that house. He's like, "Oh, it's so cold outside. It's so cold. I'm freezing." I'm like, "Dude, try less hard. Like, <laughs> don't be too hard on Martin Crane." Nah, he's a fuckboy. <laughs> I know, but I do I do think it, I their storyline, the two of them, I think is yeah. actually yeah. one of the better parts of the film. And their chemistry yeah. too. Is and I think I think Olivia, uh, Olympia Dukakis I think is actually the best performance yeah. in the film. I the would most agree. grounded, funny um but yeah, again, well, not I enough have, to I save a, my opinion. I have, I mean, I have a question for you about that. Sure. Do you think that her performance is the best in the movie because her character is the one that is the most grounded in reality and isn't doing all of these, like, crazy mm. antics? Like, do you, are you actually saying, like, just generally curious, like, do you um, think her as an actress is the best performance or do you think her character is just the most normal? It's a great question. I don't know. It's because that for me, that's that's why I liked her the best too. Yeah. Well, it's I thought well, about it. It's tough like, oh. because I like her performance and I like her character the best, and so I don't know right. deep down if yeah, there probably is a correlation. But if it was separated, I don't know. I don't know. It's I can't yeah. say for certain. Because I feel bad. I feel like I'm having a hard time separating the actors' performances from their characters. Like, you guys know, like, I genuinely like Nick Cage. Like, uh, Ben Gates. (laughs) He's so good in National Treasure. Like, he has my whole heart in that movie. And then, like, I watch him in this, and I'm like, 
oh my god he's so uh, he's bad, not horny for I'm history like, in this movie no he's just horny for Cher it's so yeah. much more boring so like, do you think this movie would have been better if it were not Nick Cage in this role doing the most no because I think the premise no. is still absurd I think I think the the lines that they gave him and and obviously the direction that they give Nick Cage in this movie in the script itself was like it's feel it felt so doomed just from him opening his mouth you know yeah. what I mean Should like we, I feel like some, some of the lines he was saying like I'm like I will give him credit the that. one the one line that I love is when towards the end he's like I'd love to stay for some oatmeal Mrs Castorini. <laughs> He's being a good boy, staying for breakfast. I get that. Listen, let's listen to his central speech. I want to go home. No. I'm going to go home. No. I'm freezing to death. Come upstairs. I don't care why you come. No, that's not what I mean. Loretta, I love you. Not, not like they told you love is. And I didn't know this either. But love don't make things nice. It ruins everything. It breaks your heart. It makes things a mess. We, we aren't here to make things perfect. The snowflakes are perfect. The stars are perfect. Not us. Not us. We are here to ruin ourselves and, and to break our hearts and love the wrong people and and die. I mean that the storybooks are bullshit. Now I want you to come upstairs with me and and get in my bed. <laughs> That's not the only time he says get in my bed. He screams yeah. get in my bed I, an uncomfortable so I number of that. times. Okay. Like that speech actually wasn't that bad compared to some of his other speeches in the film. But Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe my problem is Nick Cage because I can't take seriously the way he talks. Like he, like, like he's like, he's like, you know, yeah. we're meant to die. Like, you know, like, like he like draws out all of his words, <laughs> and he has like a bad, he has like a bad, weird-ish Italian yeah. a- slash Brooklyn accent. I, I don't know. Yeah. So, yes. can I just say, as a noted historical, yes. Nick Cage hater, um, well documented. I have grown uh, a respect for him in recent times. I think I may have mentioned it on the Eternal Sunshine episode that things really changed mm-hmm. for me when I watched Adaptation, and I really respected his mm-hmm. role in that and um, in Pig. And I even watched Knowing the other night, which actually has like really bad reviews, but I thought it was a, a good film and a good Nick Cage performance. Um, and so I'm not totally like one over right. on Nick Cage by any means, but I, I definitely understand in respect that he did change acting and he has a very distinct style and sticks to it and, and he can be over the top like in this movie and <laughs> really drive home yeah. those lines, you know? Um, but I, I think for me when it comes to Nick Cage it's all about mm-hmm. striking that balance right like it it has to be subdued to a certain extent at least for me to enjoy it and i'm also i i guess i'm just going to chalk up this performance also due to his age maybe and and maybe not being as refined as an actor um especially considering also how i feel 
about raising Arizona, which I know was also considered for recording today. Um, if you another... think Mike hates Moonstruck, he yeah. says he hates raising Arizona more. <laughs> but although so you I... know what, I've I have seen more Coen Brothers films since I watched Raising Arizona that I really enjoy. So maybe I should revisit that one as well but i remember really disliking i have not seen it and i cannot imagine how not that moonstruck is like a terrible terrible movie but like how Uh, can you hate as also a coen brothers fan how can you hate raising arizona more i I I guess time will tell i don't know it's 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 batshit crazy those are two very different or batshit crazy those are two different things (laughs) yeah we said opposite i think it's both like it's it's batshit crazy but boring in the sense that Oh. It's like bad batshit crazy, so I don't care about it being batshit crazy. Leah, do you like Raising Arizona? Not particularly. No, and I like I like a lot of Coen Brothers movies, but that's not my favorite. Certainly my least favorite. As we discussed before, we're reviewing this movie because we wanted to do a Nick Cage movie in advance of The Unbearable Way of Massive Talent, which opens this coming weekend by the time you're listening to this April 22nd, where Nick Cage plays himself as an all-star cast. Tiffany Haddish is in it. Pedro Pascal is in it. Lots of fun people. And my roommate and good friend of mine, Josh, who may come on the podcast if we do end up reviewing Unbearable Way of Massive Talent, um, read the script about a couple years ago and last year we made a bet when it was officially announced that it was going to be made uh he said that it was definitely going to win a golden globe he said either nick cage was going to win best actor it would win screenplay or it would win best comedy or musical and i was like okay i'll take that bet now one year later i would like to reopen the bet to the three of you to get in on this we do need to take into account that the Golden Globes may cease to exist. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, me too. I was, I was on the tip of my tongue. I think that I should win the bet if the Golden Globes cease to exist. Because listen, he didn't put that contingency in there. Like at the end of the day, <laughs> if they just cease to exist, it's not winning a Golden Globe. I have won. I would. Why as, does he think Golden Globe but not Oscars? As, because it's not going to win an Oscar. Oh, oh, as, a, as, a, as a frequent better. Um, who will be spending Easter Sunday at the casino tomorrow. You mean a gambling ad? Um, I'm just kidding. I would rule and say that the bet would be considered void. Oh, come on, void. Michael. But okay. I was going to say, I think what you have to consider with the Golden Globes is that they split drama and comedy, I think thus creating more opportunity for this film to actually achieve something i don't know what the slate of comedies slash musicals looks like well, for also, this year i know that the go- don't take comedy it's like hollywood foreign press's definition of a comedy so yeah <laughs> yeah but okay but like lighter films right yeah. because i feel like this light year i feel like this is shaping up <laughs> to be a popular year for really like dramatic films i don't know i just based on the slate mm. of upcoming films it's the vibe i get but remind me is that just for like the best picture nominees or is the acting awards also split between drama and I, comedy i think they're they're also split I, okay yeah i could see i could see nick cage winning then for personally best comedy yeah actor. because i feel like i don't know i feel the tides turning like i said on the nick cage thing like my respect for him has 
certainly been influenced by all of the love and admiration that I've seen on Twitter and people heaping on that praise. And I feel like there's a lot of talk about Pig being under-recognized this past year. Um, So maybe that momentum will continue to build for Nick Cage. I also just think like a movie like this where an actor kind of uh, alludes to their own career. Yeah. um, Either does really well or bombs. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious to see which one it's yeah. going to be. And I mean, like, I like Nick Cage. I do hope it is, you know, the it like does really well. Because um, I think one, there seems hope... to be, like, a lot of interest in what he's going to do next, right? Like, at yeah. least I see all these clips of him saying, I want to be in Batman. I want to be in the Muppets movie. I want to do this. I want to do that. <laughs> and, like, people are very excited by all of that. And so... I don't know. It's the Golden Globes are though are a long ways away. Yeah, I mean, like he would be such a good Muppet <laughs> actor. Oh my god, that's where he gets his Oscar once they make a Muppet yeah. movie. Yeah, I, I think the only real detriment is that it's so early in the year. So yeah. you think if this movie came out in Release October, wise. he would have a solid chance? Interesting. Yeah, I he could easily ride the the pig wave. But you're betting now. You're betting now. Ah. <laughs> Join yeah. my side, Leah. Together we shall yeah, prevail. Yeah, I would say no. I mean, to be fair, we also need to have this discussion again in two weeks once we've actually seen the film. But this is why it's fun. You have to do a preview before you've even seen the movie. Listen, I've seen the yeah. trailer. It looks like a fun time. I've seen it every single time I've gone to see an AMC movie before Nicole shows up. But it just seems like a fine, fun time. I don't see it for what it is. That being said, my friends who have read the script are have all said that they love the script so josh says it's the best script he's ever written read no, obviously he didn't written write <laughs> oh josh um wow he really said that that's interesting yeah or one of the best he i mean you know how josh is you y'all, y'all might also learn how josh is if we choose to cover it <laughs> when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie that's amore when the world seems to shine like you, you do you do have to wonder if a lot of the positive letterbox reviews are people that are being somewhat ironic not that i want to like encourage ironic liking of things but no i did see one of the letterbox reviews that i thought was really funny it was a five-star review and the review just said me colon nothing and then the cage i lost my hand <laughs> yeah. I, <lost> my- <laughs> yeah. I mean like it does i i i am quite sad though that i really hated this movie because you guys know like i feel like i come onto this podcast and i do try to find like often the positive parts of movies mm-hmm. and i like to be optimistic about what we watch i just really can't tonight guys sorry this yeah. movie sucked i know i mean like when i like when i read through some of these letterbox reviews there's people writing like paragraphs about how great this film is like every aspect that they love and and again like i don't think people say the words perfect movie lightly and um you know i i do think sometimes with film there tends to be certainly a momentum i think that sucks people up and it's like once people see things and word starts to get around both with like recent films it it can be overinflated um for instance uh, i don't want to teaser for next week everything everywhere all at once right like 
everyone is raving. You think it's overhyped? Is raving about this movie. In a sense, yes. I do. Oh, wow. I do think, and I loved it, and I think it's fantastic, and I think it's one of the most unique films I have ever seen. But But you think it's overhyped? I don't think it's like a once in a generation, like it's, people are acting like it's the greatest film of the of the fucking decade. I'm sorry. It it is the number one rated film on Letterboxd right now of all. Yeah, times. but that happened with Spider Man, so... and that it, that ha- yeah. Oh, it did. did and it then it with dropped back down. Oh god. It happens. It oh, happens yeah, with like it happens with films yeah. for like the first two weeks they come out when people go bananas and they love to. Rotten throw Tomatoes the five currently stars. has a 97 percent of for I know, a guys, a weight of massive you know, talent. Listen, okay, well, Paddington like, Two was the greatest film hey, of all time that unseated yes, Citizen Kane, and I'm sorry, but it wasn't. No. I'm sorry? What did you just say? But, Let's bring Jesse back. We need the Citizen Kane commentary. But, but my I point too being is the greatest movie of all time. that you. I think it, it happens both with films um, when they first come out and then films that are viewed as classics where it's like, oh, this is a classic. Everyone has to love this. And, and then I think that hype train also builds. But then conversely, when that happens and I dislike a film... I tend to hate it even more if everyone loves it. Like, if I'm mediocre on a film, but I know everyone loves it, it makes me hate it even more because I'm like, I don't understand why you all love that. Like, I truly do not understand. Don't, I I can't conceive why this film is so universally loved. And I'll say the same thing about, like, a recent film, The Lost Daughter, which I know Shruti loved. I don't understand. I don't understand. You're just coming for me tonight, Mike. What is your issue? I mean, on my the issue is of, this film has me in a mood. On the note of universally loved, it was nominated for best picture, nominated for best director. Vincent Gardina got nominated for best supporting actor as Cosmo, and then Olympia Dukakis uh, and Cher both won for supporting actress and actress, and then it also won screenplay. So I do understand. Like I get it. There's a lot of hype to this movie that. It fails to, to deliver. Yeah. The moon's got everyone <laughs> acting up. Like, man, they I just don't get it. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm in a mood, because we're recording at 11 p.m. and the moon is out. We can see the moon, yeah. <laughs> you're supposed to be moonstruck then. You should be falling in love. Yeah, and you see no, the I'm moon, just you're acting, supposed to go acting, cheat on your wife. I'm acting a fool. It's time to play the with and and game, where we guess who gets the additional with or and credit at the end of the opening credits for Moonstruck. I will say on a fun note that both Cher and Nicolas Cage get credited before the Moonstruck title shows up. And then after that, several cast member names come up and we get one and credit. Who do y'all think gets the one and credit? Ooh, that's tough. Can I go first? Sure. I don't yeah. want anyone to steal my answer. I mean, you can also repeat. So. I know, but I want credit for getting it right first. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to say it's not anybody in the room at that final breakfast. And therefore, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with John Mahoney. But I also just Is- love Martin Crane, so I don't know. Is that the professor? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I will say Olympia Dukakis. I was going to say John Mahoney, but then I went and looked up 
the dates on Frasier and Cheers, and this predated it, mm. so maybe he was not interesting. Yeah, that was my thought because I was Yet. like, I like to go with the older people, but then I'm like, how far yeah. into their career is it? And Olympia Dukakis was also my like runner up, but then I figured, oh, but she's like, I feel like it's not normally somebody that's like really prominent in the film, even though she was nominated for supporting mm-hmm. actress, like she was still like such a central figure. I don't know. Oh, it's tough. Okay. I'm going to say Vincent Gardenia because he was already nominated for an Oscar in the 70s before this movie came out. All interesting guesses. You're all incorrect. Wow. Oh. The end credit went to Danny Aiello, who plays Johnny. Okay. Which I kind oh, of get. Oh, I almost guessed that. He's like oh. out. Yeah. He's like not really in the movie. Yeah, he's, he's really just taking care of his of sick it. mom the whole time. Which, by the way, at the end of the movie, right, his whole logic is, I can't marry you because... My mom got met better when I told her that I was engaged to be marrying you. So if I marry you, my mother will die. I'm sorry. That, that ha- makes yeah. no sense. 180. Okay. Thank the you. The logic does not make I'll, sense. At least me. I'm not the only one here. Like if you don't marry her, she's going to die. The woman is <laughs> the woman had life breathed into her based on the hope of a marriage that you're not going to deliver on. Well, was her son really is still going to get married, just a different son. I don't know. What? I think the funniest line in the whole movie is when Cher is like, miracle, these are modern times. They're not supposed <laughs> to be miracles anymore. <laughs> I don't think she was really ever dying because when he, when he called Cher that one time, like when he was in Italy and was like, my mom, like she's like, She's about to die, and then she's from the bed, like, screaming at him. And I'm like, she sounds fine. The fun- the funniest line to me was at, in, at the end of the table scene where they s- the, the grandfather is upset, yeah. and they said, what's matter, Pop? And he said, I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> that was also the quote in one of the five-star reviews I saw at Letterboxd, which was just five stars in the quotes, I'm confused. I'm which, confused. me too, but I wouldn't say I gave us five stars. I honestly have not rated the movie yet, because I wanted to talk to you guys about it more. More to see if I would like come around to it or understand mm. it more, which honestly, Mike hating on it made me appreciate it a little bit more. Really? What about me hating on it? I didn't feel as defensive when you were because no. I, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's because I, I will. Know. I will say the first. I think the first time I watched it, um, it had come like strongly recommended from a close friend, and whenever that happens, I don't want to disappoint people. You know, yeah. so I was like, oh, yeah, it was good. Um, and this friend will probably be listening to the, the podcast. So shout out, you know who you are. Um, <laughs> and I don't know. I just I'm sorry. It, upon a rewatch, it, it didn't work for me. It just didn't. But I've also I've decided I'm no longer rating films on Letterboxd. It, Why? Because it, I can't separate myself from it. Like if okay, I yeah. I will think about problem. it I do I'll, I'll think about it way too much watching the film so I had to like break the habit and so I don't oh, I don't well, rate it you anymore. Have serious issues. Oh, I do right. I do, but <laughs> at the same time, it sort of mellows everything. Like I feel like I don't, I think- except in the case of this film. But generally speaking, when I don't have to think about a rating, I don't hate as much, but I don't <laughs> love as much at the same time. Except. 
Moonstruck is the exception to that rule. I really hope this like little break that you're going on right now will let you just enjoy movies a little bit more, and then hopefully one day you can go back to rating, but don't have like the toxic toxic relationship you currently have with rating movies. I I love movies. The rating didn't prevent me from <laughs> no, loving. No, but you them. just you you said that your love has mellowed out, and I want you to be able to love fully with your whole heart, okay. not to be mellowed out. No, it's, it's anyway. On that note, okay. <laughs> on that note, let's wrap up this chaotic episode of Chaos on the Set. Leah, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Would you care to tell people where they can find you? Okay, covering other um, new properties, perhaps. <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! Oh boy! Um, you can find me on Twitter at Leah Marilla and on Letterboxd at Leah Marilla. Do you rate things? Uh, I write things. Oh, I meant rate things. I'm re- I'm recapping Moon Knight <laughs> right now for Vulture. Also, um, listen to newcomers with Nicole Byer and Lauren Lapkus, a very successful podcast. I can't take credit for, but I am their um, Marvel producer Whoa, and researcher. Wow. So we have podcast royalty I, on. Wow. And sometimes you hear my little voice. You can find me on Twitter at K underscore Wyatt. I have a letterbox, but Michael said that if I shared it with you guys, he would cut off my hand in a bread slicer. So I can't tell you what my letterbox is. Thank you. Would he cut off your hand or would he just distract you and you would cut off your hand but never talk no, to him? No, no. Like, nah, he would like put my hand into the <laughs> slicer and then be like, never share your letterbox again. And then he would cut off my hand. I'd find a way to get you to do it yourself, but... <laughs> that's even worse that's meaner actually wow what do you want what do you expect you're manipulative you're a manipulative italian man just that like to be a really sharp bagel <laughs> slicer when you think about it yeah to to cut all the way clean through yes it i'm clean. sure it wasn't clean through i'm sure they had to amputate his hand after that because there was like bits of flesh hanging off anyways yeah, you're right well regardless <laughs> you know i'm gonna change it up if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can request. Oh shit! You can wow. request to do so at Mike underscore Riccardi. Follow me on Letterboxd at M Riccardi, where I do not rate films, but I do log them and leave the occasional, <laughs> the occasional review. So what if people who like, I guess the only person listening up to this point would be people that really also did not like Moonstruck, I guess, because I feel like fans of Moonstruck would have turned this off by now. Probably. But all <laughs> haters of Moonstruck, you now have Mike's Twitter bio or Twitter username. Congratulations. I, you know, what? I don't Twitter. want lovers of Moonstruck following me. <laughs> that, that's my well, litmus test. If you request to follow me, I'm going to ask you if you enjoyed Moonstruck. <laughs> My Twitter handle is at micromarate and my letterboxd is at truthymarate and then you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and letterboxd at chaos in the set. Tweet us if you think Nick Cage is going to get a golden globe for unbearable way of massive talent, but you must tweet before April 21st. 